Welcome everyone to Message Received. I'm your host, Tim Ferguson, and today we've got something really special for you. I'm going to be talking to Rocky Escada, and she is a human resource executive, and I could tell you about her bio, but we'll get into that in a minute. More importantly, this is someone who has taken an approach to internal communication and employee engagement that I would call, on the one hand, it's the approach of an artist, it's the approach of a humanist, it's the approach of someone who believes deeply in, I, I, I don't know if she would agree with these words, but a higher calling when it comes to our role as whether you're in HR, whether you're in internal communication, any sort of leadership role within an organization, we really owe it to support people as people. So you're going to learn uh, about her fascinating background and you're going to learn about some disciplines that you can bring into your, your personal practice as well as your work practice to really create teams that feel like a team. So I hope you're out for a run or going for a walk or doing the dishes, anything but sitting at your desk. Please enjoy my wide-ranging conversation with Rocky Escada. Hi, Rocky, and welcome to the show. Hi, Tim. Nice to be here. It's so great to have you here. And I have to say, I've been really looking forward to today since we first met. Although it's funny how we say this now, right? We yeah. met virtually. We've never yeah. met in person. You're in Singapore. Okay. I'm in Switzerland. But uh, I feel like we're kindred spirits and that we share so much in common, both uh, as people, but also from an organizational point of view, what the mission of audience is and what your mission as an HR professional is. And I'd, I'd like you to, to take us through your background. But before you do, I just want I want to give the the audience a few hints about okay. you. Do you mind? <laughs> Go ahead. So I went on to your website and for everyone listening the first thing you should do after you stop listening is go on and see rocky's website because it's amazing you say a few things that really leapt out at me so you're a, a human resources executive from two of the greatest and biggest companies you can imagine and we'll talk about that p and g and pfizer but there are three other things that just jumped out at me one is you describe yourself and i'm quoting here i am a renaissance woman trying to live a remarkable, extraordinary life, enjoying art, travel, culture, gastronomic and culinary delights, reading, because there is more to life than just the job. And I just, my heart went boom. <laughs> I mean, this is fantastic. Another quote, people are my legacy. Yes, I truly believe that. Third quote, and then I'm going to turn it over to you. Okay. An engineer who loves the liberal arts. <laughs> and and as, a, as a boy who grew up with a grandfather who was a chemical engineer, and, and as someone myself who's devoted his life basically to the liberal arts, I just thought this is such a, because I, I have so much respect for the, for the engineering mind and the, the engineering approach and education and background. And, and, and then someone who also, though, embraces the liberal arts makes me feel of someone who is very interested in balance a renaissance woman who really sees um the fullness of life and so it's just such a thrill to have you to have you join us for this time 
Thank you, Tim. It's as if you know me already for a long time. You recapped me very well. <laughs> well, let's let's fill in some blanks there for, for the people. So can you give us a highlights reel of your of your life story, really? Can you give okay. us some background to, to locate you and understand you where you are today? T give us the what do we need to know about Rocky? Okay, sure. So I come from a small family. There's only two girls. And we grew up in the Philippines. And I studied engineering. Actually, it wasn't because I loved engineering. It's because my parents wanted to me to study engineering. And like a dutiful daughter and, you know, filial obedience, I did that. But my interest really lay in the arts. So I was always very interested in reading, writing, history, design. And somehow, you know, after graduating from a Jesuit university in the Philippines, I found a job that really played to that. And it was HR in PNG. And um, so when I was there, um, so I did a couple of jobs in HR in the Philippines. And one of the jobs that I did was a benefits manager. And, you know, Philippines uh, PNG is what is the second oldest subsidiary for the company. So we were exporting a lot of Filipinos abroad. And they would come back and then they would come to me and say, hey, I'm no longer an expat. I want to learn more about benefits. Um, what am I entitled to now that I'm a local? And, you know, as I was talking to these people, I suddenly realized, you know, they, they have very interesting jobs. They go to another country. They bring their families there. They do a fantastic job. And then they learn more about different cultures. And then they balance their life and their work. So one day I went to my boss and then I said, I want to be an expat. <laughs> I just asked. And he, and he said, you know, it's going to take a while. But to make a long story short, it took about three years to make it happen. So I was actually the first female HR manager in PNG in the Philippines to be sent abroad. And when I asked for that, I thought maybe it will be a two-year assignment, three-year assignment. But actually, it lasted a long time. I never returned. So my first um, assignment was Indonesia. So I was the country HR lead there. And when I got this job, I was, I think, around um, 30 years old. And two years into my assignment, there was civil unrest in the country. So the president was deposed. There was a lot of riots. And I found myself... Um, leading the evacuation of 40 expats and their families. And my general manager was not there. So I partnered with the finance manager and we had to evacuate. And I mentioned this as an incident because it's one of the incidents that shaped my life because I, it was so difficult and so, so scary and I was so young and, you know, I had a child who was only a young child back then. It was, I think she was seven at that time. And, and then I realized after the whole ordeal was over that I can handle anything after this. 
anything that the company throws at me or life throws at me, I think I can handle it. So it was one of the pivotal experiences in my life. And I stayed in Indonesia for six years. And then the company moved me again. I went to Thailand and then moved me again. I moved to Taiwan and then finally I moved to Singapore. And this is where I've been living since 2007. And, and, and um, sorry, yeah, go can ahead. Can I just ask because yeah. for people who are not familiar with the region, it strikes me that those are incredibly different cultures. Yeah. yeah. And, and that even within each of those countries, uh, Philippines and Indonesia comes to mind in particular, yeah. that they themselves are so diverse. Yeah. Uh, can you, so can you just give paint the picture for us there as you, as you went through that journey through, yeah. were these all HR roles? Were they the country yeah. head of HR for each country? Yeah. Sure. Like when I left the Philippines, I was actually married already and I met my husband in PNG too. Actually, I met my husband after two weeks in PNG. <laughs> so we met and then we eventually dated and then got married. And so by the time I got this assignment, I had a child who was two and a half years old. So when my my boss told me, hey, I finally found an assignment for you. Um, actually, there are two assignments available, but the other one is going to your boss. And I made him choose. So my boss picked Hong Kong and then I had no choice. I had to pick Indonesia. It was very different because, you know, Philippines is pre uh, predominantly Catholic, as you know. And then uh, Indonesia is the biggest Muslim country in the whole world. So I had never been there and I knew it would be very different culturally. And then we would be alone for the first time in, an, in a foreign land. So there, there's no um, extended family support, right? There's no grandparents, sisters, brothers to help you out. You would have to go there alone. So um, even that, so my husband was from PNG. He also had a job, but he and I talked about it and said, how can we make this work, right? Our child is two and a half. Um, we could bring the helper that would help, but but you know, it, it it's difficult. So we actually um, he actually um, asked the future boss, can I take a leave for three months so that I can set up our family, our household, and that's the only way we could make it work. So um, you know, my husband supported me through all these moves, and and that's one of the reasons why I think I'm successful because I. Married the right person. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it helps, right? Helps. It helps to have a. It helps to have the right partner. I don't know if you were P and he was G, but it sounds like you you worked in true partnership. Yeah. And so through through this journey with the seminal experience of the evacuation. Yeah. It it sounds like a, I mean you stayed with HR since like you fell yeah. in love with this with this profession. Can can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So. Um, so I think there was also a stroke of luck in me coming into PNG because when you look at PNG HR, the evolution of the function in PNG is that most of them are from manufacturing because that's where you have a lot of people, right? So most of the leaders actually in HR in PNG that time were from manufacturing and they were mostly engineers. 
and um, they wanted to hire people like themselves. You know, that's one of the types of biases, right? <laughs> so they said, okay, we have an opening. And the opening actually was internal communications, what we called employee communications that time. And then they said, let's find, you know, an engineer or someone with a math background who has some experience in writing or being an editor. And I, as I confessed earlier, you know, my first love wasn't really engineering. It was like writing, history, interior design. So throughout my high school and university years, I actually had experiences being an editor in chief. And so they saw that and said, okay, let, let, let's um, interview this person. And I eventually got the job. So that's how I got into PNG. And um, I've been doing communication since then. So doing communication from the start, and I, yeah. I want to get I want to get to that. So quickly, I guess the next two phases, you do the this this country uh, level role in these very diverse uh, cultures, and then you you go through a series of regional roles. Yeah. Tell us about that and, and give us the feeling of, of moving from P&G to Pfizer. Sure. So um, when I was in the Philippines, I did the comms role, did benefits, um, compensation, union management. Eventually, I got to Indonesia where I headed up the, the HR department. And then um, I did the same thing. I went to different countries, did that. But, but you know, every... Every country had a uniqueness to it. And then eventually, um, my last country role was in Taiwan. And I worked with this amazing guy. Um, his name is Raymond. And he was my boss for Greater China. So Hong Kong, Taiwan reported to Greater China. Raymond was my boss there. And um, in PNG that time, there was a change that was happening, which was we wanted to consolidate and outsource all of the transactional pieces of HR. So PNG is actually the very first company to do that on a very large scale. And we set it up as part of Global Business Services or GBS. So the company was forming this team for the first time. And then Raymond was appointed to be the head of, of that team in Asia Pacific. And then he asked me, he said, I know I got you here in Taiwan to work for four years, but there's this amazing job that I'm going to. It's very problematic because we have to fix so many things. Um, but would you like to work with me? And he and I are so different and we complement each other so well. So I said, OK, OK, why don't I try that? Because actually this, this space was, um, it's, not, it's not the sexiest part of HR. And our region was doing very badly. And he was inviting me to go there. And then I said, okay, why don't I go there and um, let's, let's do that and make a difference. And because there's no, nowhere to go but up. <laughs> so we went there, we started the team, we... We, we um, got people to work with us. And Raymond told me that, you know, I'm just going to be here in this role for two years because I'm here to set it up. 
And then after two years, I'm going to turn it over to you because I know I'm moving on somewhere else to another part of PNG. <clears throat> so he said, um, okay, so let's let's uh, do this, let's set it up. And true enough, two years later, he handed me the reins. We were still the worst in the world at that time. And I said, wow, I, I really need to turn this around. And I really need to motivate my team, my suppliers. And my mantra then is I want to be worst in the world to best in the world. So that's the thing that I rallied my team around. And then, true enough, two years after, we did it. So we were the first region to turn around and we were turning in fantastic results. Then, so that's that's yeah. exciting. That's got to feel good. I mean, most of us want to go from worse to maybe not so bad, yeah. but you, you, you really gave it the full, the full vision of climbing yeah. to the top. So how, what did it take to get there? Well, um, you know, this this field in HR, we were shared services and also outsourcing services to IBM. So it was relatively new and we were not doing well. So one of the things that I really did is I need to find out why we're not doing well. Right. What's the reason behind that? So I really rolled up my sleeves together with my team to find out why were our results so bad? Is it our team? Is it the supplier? What do we need to do? So eventually we found out what we needed to fix and results started coming in and um, things got better a little, little by little. And then later on, I had an insight because when, when um, things started getting better, Actually, my team was saying, you know, in this field in HR, even if you do things well, you don't really get a lot of recognition because nobody is going to tell you, hey, Tim, thank you so much for paying me on time or thank you so much for calculating my benefits correctly. Nobody really does that because they, they expect that. So one of the things that I did is to think about how can we get our results recognized and appreciated? So I went into this uh, mode of how do we commercialize our results? How do we um, let leaders know these are the things that we're doing well? Yeah, there could be things that we are not doing well yet, but these are the things that we have done well. And these are some innovations that you can expect in the next three months so that you shape the conversation about you. It's more holistic. So after that happened, some leaders recognized our results. We actually got some internal awards from the company, like from HR, finance, and then after that, I said, I want to be recognized externally because that's not enough. So I, I actually looked outside and um, found this organization. It, it was called Asia Pacific HR Outsourcing Association. So it's an association of all companies and suppliers who are involved in HR shared services or outsourcing. So I joined that and then um, eventually they 
there, there's an annual competition. So they, they actually we we got some awards for like three years straight. So after we got those awards, my my team really felt so good about it because they had the recognition inside and outside of the company. And I love what I love about your story. We tend to think of sometimes internal communication as, oh, they write a newsletter, they make a website, they send out videos. But so much of internal communication is stakeholder engagement and really working with executives to understand the value that we're bringing and right. getting internal ambassadors on board. It sounds like you were doing that. And then, and then I love the idea of going external because we all want validation that what yeah. we're doing is not just good within our lone little microcosm, but within the larger world. Yeah, exactly. And, and my, my team really love that and they love their work. You know, some of them really love the work that they're still there up to today. <laughs> That's fantastic. And then what about Pfizer? What brought you to Pfizer? Yeah, so Pfizer, so after my that regional role, that 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 um, role that I had was um, really difficult. So it took a number of years to turn that around. And then eventually I moved to another role in PNG. So my last role was um, HR business lead, business partner for the APAC headquarters. And I also did Asia employee relations. So those were two regional roles that I had. But, um, you know, to be honest, in the tail end of my years in PNG, I started feeling like I wanted to learn more. But it was, you know, the growth in the organization, it was not there for me. I still wanted to move ahead. I wanted to do different things. And then that was really the first time when I thought maybe I should be open to opportunities outside. Because frankly speaking, when you enter PNG, it's so competitive, right? And then you say, okay, I'm going to retire from this company. <laughs> at least at least our generation, right? Not the generation today. But that time, um, I always uh, felt that, okay, once I get in, I'm going to do a fantastic job there. And then I'm going to retire from there. <laughs> but, um, you know, I still wanted to grow. Um, I found that in my own situation, uh, it was not possible. So I said, okay, let me explore outside. And I really didn't do it actively. You know what? What? What I just did is that I fixed my LinkedIn and then I just waited. And, and you know, there were companies, headhunters over the years who talked to me. And then eventually there were some offers. They were not um, as what, you know, what I wanted. And then eventually Pfizer came along and it worked out. So that's why, you know, when they finally offered me, I also was very scared because I said, oh, my God, I haven't worked anywhere else. This will be my first time to work in another company. And am I re really ready to walk out and move to another company where nobody knows me? Right. So what I did actually is um, that time there were also other old timers who were leaving PNG, you know, like proctoids like me <laughs> who had been in the company for a long time 
they moved to other companies. And then I actually called them and I said, hey, I need some advice from you because I'm thinking of leaving PNG. I have an offer and I want to learn from you. How did you make this decision to leave PNG, a great company, to move where you are? And nobody knows you there. It, it's not like, you know, when we're in PNG, everyone knows us or knows of us. And our word has weight, right? And then you go there. Nobody knows you. You're nobody. So how, how did you do that? And aren't you scared? Weren't you scared when you did that? So I learned from my friends. I got some tips. And then eventually I embraced this change and I made the jump. And that was four years ago to this month. And no regrets. No regrets so far. It's an exciting place to be in, like, especially with um, lockdown, right, with the pandemic. Uh, it's really amazing that Pfizer is the first pharmaceutical company to develop the vaccine. And not only that, it was developed in a record 248 days. And yeah, that's Amazing. Absolutely stunning success. And I, I, I had my, my own personal background as an agency. I worked for years for Pfizer, mostly yeah. Pfizer Canada. Yeah. And have al always found it to be just such a solid organization and offering such great support to employees. So it, it makes sense to me that someone with your uh, orientation would, would find it a great place to work. Yeah. And, and I, I love both companies. I love both companies because of the mission. Both of them are trying to make a difference in people's lives. The listeners of Message Received are all, they're interested in many things, but I think one of the things, the two, two things that draw them particularly are internal communication and employee engagement. Yeah. And it's, it's clear from everything you've said that you are, pa you're not just interested, you're not just passively interested. The, you are passionate about these topics. Why? Why? Um, well, I think it's my background, right? There, there is a natural interest ever since I was a child in communications, you know, like reading, writing, and I was always involved in publications, like newsletters, magazines. Remember back then it was in print. <laughs> there was no digital version. And I, I have a, a small story to tell you. You know, when I got married, I made a wedding invitation, which was like a magazine. <clears throat> and the reason why I did that is because, you know, all, all communication is about thinking about what is the experience of the people receiving the message. So just like the wedding, right? I had been to so many weddings where, of my friends, where I say, who, who is she marrying? Like who's in the entourage? How did they meet? So I wanted my guests to feel like, if you go to my wedding, you're gonna hear, you're gonna know about my story, what's my theme, um, who's in my entourage even before you get there, because I want you to have a great time. So taking that example, um, and, and you know, the whole thing becomes memorable. I have friends telling me, 
um, 20 years after that, hey, do you know that I kept your wedding invitation because it was so unique and I still remember your wedding. So it's the same thing, right? When we do things in the company, um, communication and engagement, if we know who is the stakeholder, who is the um, uh, receiver of this message, how do we make it more meaningful, relevant, what do they need to hear, and how do they want to hear that? If we keep that in mind, whatever we are designing, whether it's a meeting, a policy, a benefit, a town hall, it's going to be more memorable and effective if we keep that in mind. So you approach it like an artist. I guess, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm also quite creative. Yeah. And and this is the big misconception I think people have about artists. Anyone who's not doesn't know an artist or hasn't done artwork themselves is the that strategic thinking and the creativity, they go together. It's not just random creative thoughts. It's really yeah. um, that sense of, okay, what experience am I trying to create? And therefore, what must my artwork look like to create it? And, and you yeah. clearly have that uh, in you. And then I think the other thing we're, we're dancing around here is a shared interest in the word spirit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It comes up in your language. It comes up in, in your the, just the way you just describe your work. You know, when you say that uh, people are my legacy, there's something about this comment that has a richness to it. So what does spirit mean to you? Why is it so important? Um, spirit to me is the purpose or the meaning, the why behind you do behind why you do things. So it, for me, it's not about religion or religiosity. It's about finding the meaning in your life and why you do certain things. And I think, you know, it's very important because sometimes we come to a crossroad or a point in our lives when we get demotivated or we're doing something really difficult, unpleasant. And we have to think about why am I doing this anyway? What, why am I doing the difficult thing that I'm doing? And who are we doing it for? And if we're very clear about that, we can keep going. And I think it's very important, especially with the pandemic, right? Because last year was really so difficult. And um, if we're cl very clear about what's the meaning of all this, we can get energized. We can refill our energy. And for me, you know, in my career, um, I've done a couple of things that I'm really proud of. But, but what I am really, really proud about is the people I have coached. Because I see many of them today. I mean, they're very successful. Some of them are heads of their departments. And that's that's what I really am proud of, like to see someone who is at their best and to have a little part of contributing to their journey and helping them out. So this inner, this sense of inner purpose, the ability to answer the question why I'm doing something. So when you talk about spirit, it feels like you're cultivating that in yourself and you're cultivating that in others. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. It, it's both. For yourself, right? You have to be clear about 
Why, why are you doing the things you're doing? What choices are you making? What's the significance of that? And then hopefully others can also learn from that. Because I think if you are not very clear about that, um, it, it's like you're, you're like a little paper boat that's, uh, you know, in, um, in the sea, right? You don't know where you're going. It's like you're just being pushed around through the current and you're not really clear about where you want to go. So cor cor uh, choosing your course, not having yeah. it chosen for you. Yeah. And, and, and just to go back, because you said earlier about your experience in Indonesia and yeah. that and that the um, getting people out of the country in this very stressful time was such a seminal experience. And it just it, it's making me think of this boat in the ocean that chooses its own path. Yeah. What you said that you said that you learned so much from that experience. What what were the learnings? Um, well, you know, that time uh, in Indonesia, there there was the civil unrest. But before that, we, we could already see the signs that this might get really ugly. And, you know, I grew up in the Philippines. We, we've, we have had our share of <laughs> civil unrest. So I kind of knew that, okay, we need a plan here. We need to have a contingency plan. We need to rally people in terms of preparing them. And some people are not used to that, right? We had expats there. And then some of them said, what are you talking about? What, what do you mean I, I should prepare uh, a bag with three days worth of clothes? Why? Why do I need to do that? Because we might evacuate any time. <laughs> so, so it's like, um, yeah, you need a plan. And uh, sometimes people will not embrace the plan, but you need to influence them because you know it's for their safety. And then sometimes when the actual thing happened, some parts of the plan did not work. So, for example, we were thinking, okay, if this really gets bad, we should we should really have open tickets. And then when the evacuation happened, it didn't work because open tickets were not being accepted. So it was useless. So we had to find a way, a different way of getting out of the country. And um, and then we saw in the TV that, oh, there's so many expats there. They have open ticket and then they're just waiting in the airport. They're 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 like lying down on the floor. We I don't want you know, our employees and their families to go through this situation. So maybe we should really buy an actual ticket and wait. So that's what we actually did. So um, so you you at this time, you are 30 years old. Yeah, <laughs> you've got a job at this company, right? You're an employee. Yeah, I was but it's 32. 32 yeah, 30, 32 years old. I'm not sorry, sorry. Was I? Thir yeah, 32 years old. Correct. It's a so long story. <laughs> so when I was 32 years old, Rocky, I had three people I was worried about, like me, myself and I. So <laughs> what what is it about your sense of purpose yourself that said, no, I'm responsible for the employees. I'm responsible for their families and I'm going to truly take on this capital L leadership role at that yeah. time. Yeah. Well, well, first, right? It's my job because you know, you know, my 
you know, the unfortunate thing was my general manager was not there because he flew to Singapore for a business trip. And then it's like he wasn't there. Nobody was the leader there. And then I had to lead because I was the um, contingency plan leader. And then I said, the buck stops with me here. He's not here. I have to make these decisions because it's a life or death matter. And I said, I just need to step up to the plate, right? It's like, you know, one... one um, Metaphor I have in my mind, you know how when you go to a concert and then there's a stage and then there's an arrow that says stage and then there's an arrow that says exit. This is like that, right? The stage is there. I have to lead. I have no choice. I cannot exit because that's what the situation expects of me. Plus, I care about these people. And... I want to help them. I want to help myself too and my family because we're also there, right? We needed to get out of the country. And um, it, it's both the desire to help and it's my duty. So it must have been the ultimate case of internal communication and employee engagement. You're yeah. having to communicate, here's how we're going to get out of here and engagement, keeping them uh focused then on board and hopeful is 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 it was the atmosphere how tense was the atmosphere very tense it felt like a movie <laughs> i wish there i wish they did film it <laughs> like, yeah like, like you know the day that we decided to evacuate i had to send home the employees so my office was in the i think it was the 10th floor or 8th floor like i could see there were buildings burning there were houses burning and then i wasn't even sure whether i could get to my house but eventually yeah i could and it was so like scary and and then we had to leave our homes right and then i was thinking oh my god what if my house got looted and then all my actually i didn't even think of my belongings i i what i thought about is that oh my god all my Photo albums are there, you know, all of my memories. <laughs> I didn't even think, oh, my furniture or my TV. It was more of the intangible things. But luckily, nothing happened. Um, and then uh, after a week and a half in Singapore, we went back. The leadership team went back. And then, but the families, um, we sent them home. And, you know, my husband and I, were, we were working for PNG that time. I had a seven-year-old. I, I, I had to send her home to my mom because I still had a job to do. And my husband had a job to do, too, because we were part of the leadership team, both of us. So it was a difficult time. So I was a 32-year-old mom. I had these personal responsibilities and my job. And... I think it was really tough. I I think I lost 10 pounds in a week. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> it was so stressful. But, but you know, I survived it. And then I, uh, looking back, I said after that, I, I can do anything after this. And I really could. Every time there was something really difficult that came into my life, I remind myself, hey, you were 32 years old before. You got this huge problem in your hands and you survive that 
you will find a way to survive this. That's what I always say. It will. It might take time for some problems, but you will eventually get up. So clearly, your ability to keep people's spirits up, even under huge stress, uh, it's evident. And you've been practicing that in one way or another ever since. So for, for the people listening who have a, either an individual in yeah. their team or a team who've lost their spirit, what where can we start to rebuild and regrow the spirit of an individual or a team? Um, in a team, I think it's always good to listen and stay curious. Do some sensing in terms of why people are feeling lost. And I, I think it's, it's amazing, right? When you talk to people, try to listen to them, ask them questions, you learn so many things. So it could be because um, the leader, <laughs> there's something wrong with the leader, or it could be they're not clear what's the purpose of this team, where is it supposed to go, and what are they supposed to achieve. It could be the systems or the roles and responsibilities of people. It could be many things. So I think you should start there, which is try to find out, stay curious, ask people. And then from there, you can get an insight as to what you could possibly do. And sometimes in some cases, you need to disband the team. Maybe you don't need a team anymore or you... Um, you retool the team or change the membership, change the purpose, because you need to refresh the team. And speaking of being refreshed, so all of what you described, that takes a lot of engagement and energy yourself. Yeah. How, do you, how do you yourself remain so engaged? Uh, many, many different ways. <laughs> I'm so passionate about this. I've been doing this for this topic on engagement for like 30 years. And, um, you know, there's really four elements, right? Physical, mental, um, emotional, and then the spiritual, which we talked about. So physical, um, I take that seriously because, you know, you can't you can't do a lot of things if you're not healthy. And actually, in my family, um, we have a we have a like a strong practice to exercise. So my mom, um, she took me to aerobics class. So this was during the Jane Fonda days <laughs> when I was 15. Right. And I never stopped exercising since then. And uh, like, for example, like last year during the pandemic, we couldn't because I usually exercise outdoors with a trainer. And when the lockdown happened, I said, oh, my God, how, how can I do this, do this exercising if I'm locked down? And you couldn't even go to the condo gym because it was not allowed. Right. So Pfizer, um, they gave us membership to this site called Grokker. And there are so many exercises there that you can do indoors. So lots, I mean, different things, kettlebell, yoga, hit, all of those. So in the beginning, I said, maybe these exercises are too easy. So maybe I should do this every day because normally I exercise four times a week. 
Then I said, maybe I'll do this every day because this is probably too easy. So I started exercising with that. And then you know what happened? Eventually, I really loved it. On some days, I exercised for one hour using that thing. Then I dragged my husband to do it. And then we were doing it every day. And then we were really losing weight. I lost seven kilos last year. And he lost 10. And then my daughter said, hey, you guys are getting too thin. You should eat more protein. So, and then, you, you know, I, my goals, I track them. I actually exercised 290 days out of 365 last year. So that's like 80% of the time. And that was during lockdown. And then some of my friends told me, you know, you're the only person I know who lost weight during the lockdown. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've had, I haven't quite gone in the same direction that you have. That's impressive. What about, what about your you said body, mind, emotion, and spirit. What about for your mind and for your emotion? Yeah. What do you do? Yeah, yeah. What I do is I love to read. So this is this is my childhood habit, right? I still read. And um, actually, I set a goal. Because, you know, when I started doing the regional jobs, what I realized is that when you're in a regional job, you have more night calls. I used to read before going to bed before. And then I, I suddenly realized, hey, I'm not reading anymore because I am just so busy and then the days are so long. So I said, if I don't track this, this will never happen. So last year, um, I had the target of to read 15 books. And um, I used to read more before, but, but you know, with my days and my job, I said, OK, I, I'm going to read 15 books. And usually I glide path. So like if it's half of the year, I should have read seven already, right? <laughs> and then I said, oh my God, I haven't read seven yet. I, 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 I'd better, you know, read a few pages every day before sleeping. And last year I actually read 18. Fantastic. And yeah. are you reading fiction or nonfiction, a combination of both? Combination. And then I also listen to podcasts. Uh, that's another way, you know, to learn a lot of new things. Um, and then also learning something new is, I think, part of the mental agility, right? Um, so last year, uh, what did I learn? So I learned so many things through the podcast, through reading, and then even the physical part, because I restarted doing yoga, and then doing that almost every day, I was amazed I was able to do the crow, which I never did before. <laughs> the crow. I don't even know what the crow looks like. Yeah. And then on the emotional part, um, it's really being in touch with your feelings. You know, there's a lot of studies about toxic positivity, right? where you try to dismiss your feelings and just, uh, you know, be happy all the time. That, that's not actually helpful. But at the same, and, and, you know, it's a real thing with the pandemic. You know, there are times when a lot of people got depressed. And, and I felt that too. It's just the cabin fever, right? And the lack of socialization. So it's being attuned to that and accepting and embracing that and then finding ways to deal with that. And then the other one is um, thinking about, uh, about um, 
what are the different things that you are grateful for? So it's a, you know, there's still positives, right? During this pandemic and just taking stock of that and being grateful. And then at the same time, accepting that this is a hard time for the world, for everyone. And sometimes you feel depressed, but, but that's normal. And your your team must benefit so much from from this, from you from you demonstrating the way to keep yourself uh, engaged. And I'm curious about we're in this series. We're talking quite a bit about collaboration. Yeah. And as a last couple of questions here before we wrap up, can you talk about the relationship between engagement and collaboration? Because I think sometimes we think of engagement as extra, an extra thing we do, and collaboration is the real work. But how do they go together in your mind? Um, I think if you, I think it's linked to the process of um, creation. <laughs> so if you create something and then you involve other people, the end product becomes better. And then at the same time, you're building relationships with people. And you gain some supporters or ambassadors. You gain buy-in from those people when you're launching your product. So that's how I look at it. And also, you, don't, you can do it different ways. And you don't have to do it the same way for every project. So for example, there are some projects where you will create something by yourself, like a concept. And then after that, you go to other people and say, what do you think of this concept? Do you have any suggestions or feedback? And then they give you feedback. Then after that, you either um, incorporate that feedback and redo it or you involve them in redoing it or you can start with getting a small team you create things together and then you get feedback from other people you take their feedback and then you finalize it so i think it's like you know different ways of creating things but at the end of the day it just makes your product better and also it creates meaning for the people who contributed to the product. I think this is very important in a global company because a lot of things now with this connected world, we need to create it and we need to see how can people outside of the headquarters really contribute to this product instead of creating it in the headquarters, then um, asking the regions to deploy it. So Rocky, we have some clients for whom collaboration feels a little bit like a make work project where the the buzzword in the in the organization is collaboration or teamwork, co-creation. They feel like, hey, I could really do this quick more quickly and more simply by myself. Yeah. If you're trying to inspire someone to see that differently, yeah. That maybe there are possibilities as a group you couldn't have on your own. Any quick tips for them? Yeah, I think the first um, thing is the realization that 
No one has the monopoly of ideas. And you have to be humble. It's humility, right? No one could know everything. And sometimes when we get very experienced, you know, I, I have that too at, at times, you get very attached to your idea and as if it's a reflection of you if it gets rejected. But the flip side of that is that if you're developing something that you can easily do on your own, but then you change the approach and you try to incorporate other people into the co-creation process, that um, process alone makes those turns those people into ambassadors of the product. They feel that oh, I I had a part in making that, and they, they sort of feel like oh, I have to support that because I was part of that. So you gain more traction, you gain buy-in by doing that. So maybe it might take you a little bit more time in the first part of the process but once you complete the project and then you're trying to sell it to stakeholders maybe that will be faster because their inputs were already incorporated so if you're looking at it from an efficiency standpoint right but then also there's the buy-in standpoint and then also there's the personal thing right which is you don't know everything and you need to listen to the stakeholders or the end users of that product. Maybe they know something that you don't. Great, it's great. Final question, Rocky. Our podcast is called Message Received. Yes. So what message do you want to ensure our audience receives today? The message that I would like to share is that all communication at the end of the day is about connection. And connection is a human need. And I think it's our duty as leaders, managers, individuals to really facilitate that connection and really making that connection right now in a world that is robbed of face-to-face of -face interactions and is painfully virtual is that makes the communication so important because it's about caring about what people you care about care about. Well, I think you've made a huge connection with our listeners today. Uh, such an enriching and interesting conversation. Rocky, thank you for your time. We really appreciate it. And I have a feeling we're gonna see you again on Message Received. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed this. This was the highlight of my long day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Message Received and don't forget to follow our series.